After my last sermon at Pathway, Angie Keys came up to me after the service and said, Fred, that's the best sermon you've ever preached here. The next one's not going to be as good. Get set for a letdown. I admit that after a moment's emotional deflation from Angie's encouragement, in the next moment, I realized that didn't really bother me. Compliments are nice, but compliments are not the best way to judge a sermon. The worst thing that can happen to any preacher is not that his sermons never generate a compliment, but that his sermons never generate an effect. The sermon someone most dislikes, and at the time of hearing might most disagree with, is the very sermon that might get inside their head and under their skin and begin to bother them to the point that they actually begin to change their behavior because of it. As I have said before, because Jesus said so before, the soil, the condition of the human heart, is more important than the seed, the word of God that falls into that heart. And because this is so important, because the effect of a sermon can only be caused by the work of the Holy Spirit in a human heart, in your heart, Please take a moment to pray with me yet again for the effects of this sermon and for all sermons to come here at Pathway. Lord, we commend our hearts to you, which in their natural condition are hardened, deceitful, and untrustworthy. We ask for your Holy Spirit to be with us, to reshape our hearts, to make them good soil for your word and to cause to affect those things you want to affect in us. For this Sunday, we pray, and for all Sundays and sermons to follow here, we ask that you be at work in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Here again, the words of our text today from the fifth chapter of Matthew's gospel, verses one through seven. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, right from the start, before we go a single step further, these blessed are statements that Jesus makes represent a condition or state of being for humans in this fallen world. They are not statements of aspiration. They are not, you'll be blessed if you become 
like this. Jesus is telling us, in any condition like these that you may find yourself, you will be blessed when the kingdom of God finds you. But we need to begin with the word itself. What does blessed mean? As we learned a couple of weeks ago, it's from the Greek makarios. The root of that word, mak, is used in words that generally mean to make long or to make large. The idea, someone is being blessed or blessed when God extends his benefits or makes them larger the advantages he confers. And the best substitute or synonym in English might be something like fortunate or enviable, not to be confused with lucky. Makarios, blessed, describes a believer in an enviable or fortunate position as a result of receiving God's provisions, God's favor, which extends, makes long, makes large, God's grace, his benefits. Being blessed happens with receiving, which the scripture understands as obeying, the Lord's, as the reformers would say, inbirthings of faith, the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart. Hence, faith, the Greek word pistis, and blessed, makarios, are often closely associated throughout the Bible and especially in the New Testament. Faith, which in Greek is a verb, an action, is directly linked to being blessed. Being blessed is a condition that arises out of the action of placing faith in God. We can get into trouble with these words of Jesus when we think that he is making aspirational statements of what he wants us to be like. The Beatitudes are not a guide for the kind of person you are to become. They are conditional statements, words of hope and promise that no matter what your condition, even if it's a condition despised by this world, very likely caused by this world, Blessed are you even in that condition when the kingdom of heaven finds you. And Jesus begins by saying, blessed are you. Now, who is you? Well, first, you is his disciples. They came to him. They want to hear. They want to listen. So Jesus speaks But Jesus knows that other people are listening too. The crowd is eavesdropping. And he lets them listen in. So who are these audience of eavesdroppers? Mostly, they are poor, rural people. No disrespect to Jesus, but some of them are there on that day because they don't have anything better to do. They don't have much money. They have even less influence. Some of them might even wonder where their next meal is coming from, and some of them hope it's coming from Jesus. This is not a politically powerful or socially influential group of people. And Jesus knows this. 
And what he says, he says to both the disciples and to this particular audience, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, right from the start, we go into the deep ends of the blessings, of the Beatitudes. We almost never use the phrase poor in spirit in conversation today. And even great theologians and brilliant Bible commentators really don't like this phrase. They have trouble with it. And as a result, they come up with all kinds of creative and often tortured ways of changing it to say something more aspirational. Blessed are those who realize their spiritual poverty. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the spiritually destitute. Blessed are the humble-minded. No, the Greek is much more direct here. And what it says is, blessed are the poor. The Greek word here is tokwai, best translation, poor, destitute, wretchedly poor, poor with three exclamation marks after it. In the, there's a definite article there in the Greek, not a, in the spirit, pneumati. That's the word from which we get words like pneumatic, something that is operated by or functions through air pressure, like pneumatic tires. And that is what people of Jesus' day thought of when they thought of spirits. Spirit was like air or wind that moved around them with effect, but they couldn't see it. Jesus makes a direct comparison to spirit in this way when he's trying to teach Nicodemus about what it means to be born of the spirit. You don't know, he says to Nicodemus, which way the wind blows or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit, pneumati. So what Jesus is saying here is, blessed are you who haven't got much spirit, who don't have any drive, who suffer from low pressure personalities, who maybe all together could form the club called people without personalities. Dallas Willard, the great theologian and philosopher, translated it directly from the Greek, best of all, with a modern idiom. Blessed are all of you spiritual zeros. The people nobody ever listens to, the people who don't have any presence, the people who don't make any impression on others. Blessed are you when the kingdom of heaven finds you. Your lack of drive, personality, presence, all the things the world looks for in leadership do not matter. You're included. God is going to bless you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, why is it that people mourn? And here again, we need to remember that Jesus is not speaking a word of aspiration or telling us that it's good to mourn. Grief is painful. That's why it's called grief. And normally, we expect normal people to get over it. But there are people in the world 
who have suffered a grief so great, they cannot get over it. Like the spiritual zeros, these lifelong mourners are people who just can't get it together. Mourning, sorrow, sadness dominate their lives. Jesus does not tell them to get over it. He says, rather, that even in a state of mourning that you cannot on your own get over, you are going to find comfort when the kingdom of heaven finds you. You are going to understand, as other people don't understand, the depth and the power of the words of the apostle John in Revelation chapter 21. Then I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully adorned and dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying, Behold, God's dwelling place is among men, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Jesus doesn't tell mourning people to get over it. He tells them there will be an end to it. And blessed are you, even in a state of inconsolable mourning, when the kingdom of heaven finds you, because it will bring you inexpressible comfort. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. The Greek word here, translated gentle, and that's a good translation, is praus. Meek is another good translation of this word. The adjective in Jesus' day and culture was often used to describe a horse that had been broken or broken in. Especially it was used of horses trained for war. They were broken, gentle, because they had learned to serve and obey. But that's sounding, starting to sound almost aspirational. And Jesus is not trying to get us to aspire to be war horses. He is describing a condition which in his day was considered a weakness. Today, among better people, gentleness and compassion are recognized as virtues. You know why they're recognized as virtues today? Because Jesus Christ changed history. He changed the history of thought. He changed philosophy. He changed the list of virtues because gentleness was not on Aristotle's list of excellences, the arites. If you had strength in this culture, in this day, you used it to dominate others. Showing compassion, displaying gentleness was considered weakness. The Romans felt this way too. 
which is one reason they got so very good at oppressing so many different people, including the Jews. So when Jesus says, blessed are the gentle, that's what people thought of. They thought of the losers, like the poor in spirit and the mourners, the stepped upon, the oppressed, the people who were never going to amount to anything and were only in the world to be taken advantage of by others. And some people today still live with this first century view. As Mark Twain famously said, the gentle may inherit the earth, but good luck seeing him try to keep it. But that's exactly who's going to keep it, because that's who's going to get it in the kingdom of God. For gentleness in God's kingdom is not a weakness. It is an eternal and lasting strength. To use only the amount of strength necessary to accomplish what is needful. So again, when Jesus speaks this, he offers a word of comfort. Blessed are you who are gentle whom the world thinks are losers and weaklings, because in the kingdom of heaven, you are going to get everything. And no one is going to take it away from you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This one almost sounds noble, but very few people actually want to experience it. Who would be willing to miss a meal for the sake of righteousness? I ask myself this question every time I consider beginning a fast. Is this really worth it? Jesus is describing people here who care more about establishing righteousness than they do about eating and drinking. Righteousness is the food that they want to eat, and they feel like they're starving when that food is absent. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, said Jeremiah, and they became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. But people who hunger and thirst for righteousness in this sinful world will also, like the poor in spirit, like the mourners, like the gentle, be uncomfortable in this world. In fact, they will often be quite wretched because the righteousness they are hungering and thirsting for will not be found here. It won't be found in government, as if I need to say that after an election. It won't be found in public figures or celebrities. It won't be found in any of the world's normal ways of doing business, and sometimes you will have a hard time finding it in the church. These people who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be anything but satisfied in this present world. They will be disappointed time after time after time. The words of the author of Hebrews speak to these people that Jesus is speaking to. And they are true for them. And probably best rendered in this case to capture their emotional reality in the words of Eugene Peterson in the message, 
people who live this way make it plain that they are looking for their true home. If they were homesick for the old country, they could have gone back any time they wanted. But they were after a far better country than that. Heaven country. You can see why God is so proud of them and has a city waiting for them. Blessed are you and those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Hungry, thirsty, miserable as you might be today, you are going to be satisfied. One day, you'll go home. And home is on its way to you. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What I'd say about this will sound a lot like what I said about the gentle, but Jesus promises to the merciful a different reward. Like gentleness, mercy was not considered a virtue in Jesus' time and place and culture, not by Aristotle, the wisest man of his age, or by any of the dumber people of his age, Mercy, like gentleness, was also considered a sign of weakness. If your opponent was down, you did not show mercy. You crushed him and finished him off. Get what was his, make it yours, and keep it. The merciful in Jesus' day were not admired. Like the gentle, they were seen as people to be taken advantage of. Only in the invisible economy of heaven were these people rich because they understood something about heaven already. And when they arrived, it would not be strange to them. They would be at home in it. For God, as Jesus taught and demonstrated over and over again, is merciful. Jesus' whole mission was a mercy mission to save a gang of wretched arrogant rebels from the fate they actually and so richly deserved. The human race had set up, even by Jesus' time, a whole system of living designed to exclude God, deny God, dishonor God, and assert themselves as God. And we have labored mightily on that system since. It is now a ponderous and sophisticated system of contrived evil. And if this story sounds like the story of somebody else you've heard of, it should. It's the story of Satan. Better, Satan says in Milton's poem, Paradise Lost, better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. And since that day, most members of the human race have raised their hand to say amen to that. So when Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness by showing him all the kingdoms of the world and saying, all these I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. He's not kidding. He's making a real offer that he has the power to complete. His goal was to build a kingdom without God and he has done it and the world now lives in it. And if that is your goal too, you shall certainly attain it. 
and have a place with Satan in his kingdom. Let no one say that God is unjust. You'll get what you were after. Except that God, by his very nature, is in pursuit of you, even now in love, wants to rescue you from this fate in mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And that mercy will not be strange to them. And what the world despised in them as weakness will be revealed as a heavenly, eternal, and imperishable strength. They won't get what's coming to them. They'll get something far better. They'll get the mercy of God and they will no longer be out of place. Jesus spoke these words and the ones that follow for the purpose of encouragement. And that is my purpose as his representative to you today. No matter how wretched you may feel in this present life or at this present moment, no matter if you're a spiritual zero or mourning a loss you have never been able to cope with, if you're gentle and merciful and think because of that you're weak and soft, if you're hungry and thirsty for a meal it looks like you will never get, my word to you today is blessed are you when the kingdom finds you and the kingdom of Jesus Christ is coming for that very purpose. Jesus is coming to find you you. Some of you here, maybe almost all of you, have been found, and you know that. Be encouraged. Your reward is already on its way, and some of it may have already arrived, because Jesus has arrived. He is alive and with us. He is ready to rescue anyone who realizes just how desperate and dangerous and hopeless this world is. In other words, anyone who is an intelligent, hard-headed realist. How empty are this world's promises, how treacherous its inhabitants. Blessed are you who trust in Jesus Christ, even in the most wretched state you can imagine, poor, mournful, hungry, weak. Take courage, because you are right in the gun sights of Jesus' blessing, and Jesus is a very good shot. I hope that you will not be disappointed that I am only going to offer one application of this message. And I'll begin with the way that application would be expressed in Scripture. Think on these things. Let me be a little more specific and offer a method in hopes that it might help you. Set aside an hour this week to consider how God is blessing and is going to bless you and other people, even in the conditions of life, which give you sorrow and which give the world around you opportunity to make fun of you, criticize you, berate you. Imagine a world where even the wretchedly poor in spirit, the spiritual zeros, will be welcome at peace at home, not despised. Imagine a place where there will not nor ever be again any cause for mourning. 
or crying or pain. Imagine a kingdom where there will be no more hungering and thirsting for righteousness we cannot find, but instead a world where righteousness will so permeate and define all things in all that we do that we will feast on it at every meal. Imagine a realm where the gentle are no longer despised but in charge and where justice is dispensed by the merciful and all the meanness and hurt that has been done to me and to you and to others by those who despise the gentle and the merciful will be banished. Those who contrived evil and hurt will be removed from power, stripped of influence, and never able to harm anyone again. And imagine a king so good and beautiful and wise who is even now planning and preparing this place for you and for me. In these words that we call the Beatitudes, Jesus is offering us, you and me, the hope and promise that this kingdom is coming and extending to you the invitation to enter it. Think on these things. Think over and over again about Jesus' words. Blessed are you. Would you pray with me? We pray, Lord, that this blessing would come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. We long for the day when your inverted kingdom will put things right side up. And Lord, when all those things which give us grief today, sorrow and pain, cause us anguish and loss, will be taken away and fulfilled in your coming. Help us then now that our hearts, our minds, and our imaginations may be renewed by these words of hope you have given to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.